I'm Paul Shari, a senior fellow at the Center for New American Security. I'm here with Michael Horowitz, associate professor of the University of Pennsylvania and adjunct senior fellow here at CNAS, and Alexandra Sander, research associate with the Technology and National Security Program here at CNAS. And we're here with another episode of our Drone Proliferation Podcast. Mike, Alex, thanks for being here. Thank you. Today we want to talk about the missile technology control regime that captures drone exports and proliferation. It's 30 years old and is, is a major player in shaping how drone proliferation is perceived and what countries are willing to do abroad. Mike, 30 years into this, how, how are we seeing the MTCR hold up with changing drone technology? I mean, the MTCR, happy birthday to the MTCR. And it, you know, it's 30 years old. And I think from the perspective of missile proliferation, the MTCR is thought of as a reasonably effective regime. You know, the MTCR is essentially an export cartel. It's a, it's a voluntary group of nation states that have decided to uh, restrict the extent to which they export uh, uh, missile technology above a certain range and payload as well as production components for the for those technologies. And I think the the challenge in the area of drones is that no one ever thought that we would be here. When drones were initially included in the MTCR, they were thought of as target drones or maybe first-generation reconnaissance drones where the, the concern was mounting a weapon of mass destruction on them and flying them into something, essentially a, a remotely piloted cruise missile. The MTCR didn't, the, the creators of the MTCR simply didn't anticipate a drone platforms like the Predator or the Reaper or even Global Hawk. And Alex, what specifically does the MTCR prohibit? What rules does it place on on states who are members? Well, first of all, it's a voluntary agreement. So there's no true enforcement mechanism for the MTCR. The intent of the MTCR is to limit the spread of WMD delivery systems under two different categories. Uh, Category one items are strong presumption of denial for export. And the... Uh, specifications for these systems is that they have the capability to deliver a 500 kilogram payload over a distance of 300 kilometers. Um, The category two systems are incomplete technologies that could contribute to the development of a delivery system. So it's a little bit less certain what's specifically included in category two items, but where it's really relevant to drones is this category one limitation in terms of exports. And has the MTCR been successful in slowing down or stopping exports of some of these technologies? I mean, the the MTCR, I think, is certainly limited uh, exports by MTCR members such as the United States. And it's one of the things I think that's really interesting is the way that countries attempt to game the system to make uh, create uh, drone exports that are MTCR compliant. Uh, for example, uh, later this year, Israel will be uh, delivering a 10 uh, armed Heron TP uh, drones to India, and the export variant, uh, you know, has a the export variant of the Heron TP has a, a payload of 450 kilograms, which is the same as the same 450 kilograms that China claims that the CH4 has, the system that China's been exporting to uh, Jordan, uh, Iraq, uh, Nigeria, et cetera. And the, this, isn't, this isn't surprising. What I think it reflects is the way that countries are attempting to argue that they are complying with the MTCR while still exporting armed drones. 
which then raises the question of whether that 500 kilogram limit on Category 1 systems is still meaningful when it comes to drones. Can you walk us through why that limit? Why 500 kilograms, 300 kilometers? What's significant about that when the MTCR was originally created? So when the MTCR was originally created, most of the countries that were members were, were European countries along with the United States. And the, they were thinking about the use of weapons of mass destruction in, uh, in Europe. And the notion was that 300 kilometers was a range that was meaningful for thinking about the security environment in Europe especially, but also elsewhere uh, at that time. And that 500 kilograms was about what you would need to mount a weapon of mass destruction on a, on a missile, to, to put a, a, weapon, a warhead with, with a weapon of mass destruction on a missile. And so that's where the Category 1 limit was set. And that, and that Category 1 limit made some sense for missiles uh, at that time and, and probably made some sense for uh, the target drones of the day at that time and thinking about loading them with uh, weapons of mass destruction. I think the problem now is that uh, 500 kilograms in particular uh, isn't a meaningful capability breakpoint for thinking about drone capabilities, what differentiates the capability of drones in the in the contemporary period has to do with questions of ISR integration and their ability to operate over the horizon, uh, as well as the you know, precision of their munitions. It's less the payload per se. But just so I want to disagree with you here, Mike. I mean, isn't if if the focus of the MTCR is really preventing um, the proliferation of systems that are WMD capable delivery vehicles? Doesn't that payload threshold still matter, right? And sure, maybe it doesn't apply to think about drones in another context, but that wasn't the purpose of the MTCR in the first place. Sure, but fighter aircraft and commercial airlines also can go more than 300 kilometers and carry a payload of more than 500 kilograms, so we're not arguing that they should be under the MTCR. It's essentially an accident of history that target drones, it's not an accident of history, it's a technological development trajectory that target drones became essentially uninhabited aircraft. And the drones of today are much more akin to fighters or commercial aircraft or those types of systems rather than missiles. Regulating them essentially as if their primary purpose is as a missile, I think misses what the technology is about. So this is a, a really interesting challenge where we have this technology that originally looked like kind of like a cruise missile and now has evolved to look more like an aircraft. And particularly as we look further down the horizon, we see things like possibly unmanned aircraft, large unmanned aircraft being used in a commercial setting for things like maybe cargo delivery or um, optionally piloted systems or applique kits. How do we adapt the MTCR, our frame of mind, to think about these things that are technically captured today under the MTCR but are, but are really much more like manned aircraft? That's a really tough question. Uh, if you adapt the MTCR to be more applicable to drones, are you by default weakening its ability to regulate the proliferation of WMD delivery systems? If you're focusing more on the broader operational cases in which drones are used, uh, then does that sort of miss the point of regulating missiles and, uh, well, cruise missiles and ballistic missiles that aren't intended to be recoverable? That's sort of the main distinction that we've been getting at in terms of, is the MTCR successful? It's been successful in limiting the spread of these uh, delivery systems because 
there aren't other operational cases necessarily for missiles, maybe beyond space launch vehicles. But again, that's not something that's designed to be recoverable, whereas the drones, it's, it's much more broad. Why is it that we limit um, proliferation of missiles and not you know, large commercial aircraft or fighter aircraft that also, as you pointed out, Mike, can similarly be used as delivered vehicles? At the time, I think it said missiles were, were uninhabited. And you know, one way not recoverable. And the the thought was that you you know the if you were gonna you know the equivalent essentially of including a fighter in the NTCR would be worrying about somebody you know like loading the cockpit with a like WMD warhead or something and flying it into something. And I think that was thought of as a less sort of realistic kind of uh, a less realistic sort of uh, thing or a pilot with a, a sort of nuclear tipped missile. Uh, like flying their aircraft into something as opposed to launching the missile. And the so I think that's why, one of the reasons why they weren't part of the agreement. They, they also weren't part of the agreement because the engineering challenges were, were different. I think the one of the reasons why the MTCR has, is generally thought of as successful from a missile proliferation perspective is that designing the rocket engines and producing the gyroscopes necessary for accurate long-range missile systems is harder than I think people had initially anticipated in the in the immediate post World War II uh, period. So, an, an export agreement like the MTCR, with a strong presumption of denial, can be meaningful for something like aircraft, where you know just about anybody could build something that could go more than 300 kilometers and have a payload of more than 500 kilograms. The, the notion of an export uh, agreement w- wouldn't be meaningful because everyone could just build them themselves. Ah, so some of it is simply just regulating what is regulatable versus uh, if that's if that's a word versus what is really maybe even most significant right it's like the like the nuclear suppliers group in you know works in theory because the materials regulated by the nuclear suppliers group are thought are sort of relatively rare relatively difficult to relatively difficult to acquire so through working together countries can prevent proliferation beyond the group that that only works though if the, those countries have something that that's controllable Well, and on top of these uh, regulations of missile delivery system or missiles and WMD delivery systems, you also have norms of nuclear non-proliferation. So if you're worried about a drone dropping a nuke, is it necessarily, is it necessary to regulate the proliferation of the drone or, you know, you're already regulating the proliferation of nuclear weapons? So there's a sense of redundancy there. I mean, I, and I think the the concern is that the status quo risks undermining the MTCR's effective, relatively effective efforts at preventing missile proliferation. That you end up with with potential issue linkage between UAVs and missiles, where you know, suppose you. You start, suppose MTCR members started exporting Category 1 drones more regularly without some kind of agreement between MTCR members. You know, then does that undermine the norm against, uh, against you know, applying the strong presumption of denial to missiles, thus making countries more likely to sell longer-range cruise missiles and, and ballistic missiles? And so the, the challenge is trying to figure out a way to, to sort of square the circle. Well, that's a, I mean, that's a good question. Can the MTCR be adapted without breaking it, what do historical cases tell us here? Are there examples? What should we, what should we anticipate? I mean, what, 
my, my reading of the history of arms control would suggest that it's more likely the MTCR will break, but the, but that, but we, but this is a, a, a relatively unique situation in some ways where the development of a technology has so far outpaced the, what that technology looked like at the point of the initial, at the point of the initial uh, agreement. But you certainly could alter, you, one could imagine a world in which the MTCR was either altered to change the limits for what a category one system looked like for UAVs, where UAVs were dropped out of the MTCR, uh, or potential, or potentially if there was a, a, an agreement that for, for category one UAVs, there's not a strong presumption of denial. There's you know, some other phrase that's a little lower than a strong presumption of denial. All of those would, would be theoretical possibilities. I wonder if one of the challenges here is that as the technologies evolved and drones sort of look more like aircraft, that the MTCR is focusing to some extent on the wrong thing, that it's, it's focusing on whether or not there's a human in the aircraft or in the vehicle. But as we look towards things like maybe more optionally piloted vehicles, that's not really the key distinction. And I wonder if a distinction about recoverability is more significant, the difference between a missile that just launched and doesn't come back versus an aircraft, whether there's a human in it or not, might be a cleaner distinction that actually holds up longer over time as the technology evolves. If that's the if that's the case, then what would necessarily be the end game for that? Are you still focusing on limiting drone proliferation uh, as a WMD delivery system, or just limiting drone proliferation for the sake of drone proliferation? I think that's a great question is, what, what are the aims here, right? Um, certainly, if, if missile technology itself and ballistic missile technology is still um, difficult to get access to and develop, and there's value in constraining that, um, you know, and the value in keeping the MTCR in that respect, you know, maybe one focus would be to to really narrow the MTCR on those things and accept what might be inevitable when it comes to drones, but at least protect missiles as something that, that can be prohibited and regulated. Sure. At least my read on some of the major concerns about drone proliferation and the impact that it might have beyond this conversation about the MTCR is whether or not it lowers the threshold for conflict. So if you're thinking about that concern and then relating it back to these non-proliferation measures, does the MTCR achieve that by limiting drone proliferation or, or can it? Right. If the, if you're worried about lowering the threshold for the use of force and, and you think about the ways that most countries are likely to use drones either for surveillance or strike, which is in their neighborhood, then a, a drone that can go, you know, 200 kilometers with a payload of, you know, of 350 kilograms might be just as likely for your average country to, you know, if one believes the, the reduce the threshold to the use of force argument, that, you know, 200-350 system is probably just as likely to reduce the threshold to the use of force as a 300-500 system. Well, and the interesting thing, of course, is that the MTCR doesn't actually distinguish between armed and unarmed systems, right. which, from that perspective of thinking about strikes, matters, of course, quite a bit. Right. And on top of that, neither Israel nor China, two of you know, our top three proliferators adding in the United States aren't members to the MTCR. They, they claim to follow the MTCR, but they are not formal formal members. And it, it is 
It's an interesting example of the power of international norms, I think, that both Israel and China feel the need to say out loud that their, uh, that their uh, drone exports, that the payload on their drone exports are uh, 450 kilograms, allowing them to save face, essentially, from an international norms perspective, uh, even though they're not technically members, as, as Alexandra said and is, is absolutely right about it. But are they paying anything more than lip service to that norm in their actual actions? Think about the way that this has played out in missiles. I mean, UAVs aren't the only place we've seen this. If you think about the uh, British export of Storm Shadow to you know Saudi Arabia, they're uh, in you know less less often in the missile arena than in the drone arena. We've seen a little bit of uncertainty for uh, for systems that were right at the margins of a, of a category 1 system and where countries have produced export variants that are you know magically just below the thresholds they don't hit the strong presumption of denial well and it's one thing i think to to create a bona fide export version that maybe falls under the threshold and you know if if there's a certain threshold and you come underneath it then that's allowed but it's a little bit different when i look at say a chinese ch4 well it looks an awful lot like a reaper and uh, the U.S. classifies a Reaper as a Category 1 system that China is saying is their CH4 is not, and they're selling them abroad. And so I wonder how, you know, if there's just a double standard in terms of compliance. I'm not sure it's a double standard in terms of compliance. I think it points out the, the weakness of the standard as far as delineating capabilities. That if, uh, I mean, one can even believe that a CH4 has a, has a payload of 450 kilograms, but if, in theory, it's delivering, you know, at, Putting aside the you know ISR integration piece, if it, if in theory the platform can deliver a very similar capability to the the Reaper, it, I think it calls into question whether in this case whether 500 kilograms is a substantively meaningful distinction, or thinking about the capabilities of of drones, recognizing that it it, it still is probably for missiles. So acknowledging some of these concerns, what what are the options that states have going forward in terms of how they work? together or unilaterally to adapt the MTCR and their own actions to, to this changing environment? I think based on the conversation we've just had, it's either a question of changing those Category 1 specifications, um, potentially adding new signatories to the MTCR, uh, or completely diverging the discussion about drones from the MTCR and uh, creating a new system, whether that's something voluntary as the MTCR is, maybe stemming from future conversations around the joint declaration that came out last fall, or uh, simply long-term promulgation of new norms of use. I think there's a variety of paths that we can take. The, the creation of a new arms control regime focused on drone exports, essentially an MTCR just for drones. I think in the in the current international political climate would be very difficult to negotiate. Uh, a minor repair, as such, to the to the MTCR might be more likely to to happen or more achievable. But it would take a country b- taking the lead and going down that road and deciding that they wanted to you know at least absorb some international political cost, probably in the short term, to advance to re- to advance a reform proposal, and then. How to hold how to hold the line then if uh, other countries come in, countries such as Russia or China that want to use any uh, alterations to standards for drones 
to uh, legitimize uh, more significant missile exports. Well, one of the more interesting things we've also seen uh, in the international space when it comes to policy is this linkage of the MTCR to intentions for use and uh, principles of use for the country that you might be exporting the drone to. And I think that's this first attempt to get around the distinction between the use case of a missile, which is obvious, and the use case of a drone, which is not. Uh, so at least in the near term, we'll probably continue down that path. And in terms of the mechanics of evolving the MTCR to um, this new environment, there's an interesting dynamic at play here, right, where changing the MTCR requires consensus among all of the state parties. But on the other hand, the regime itself is non-legally binding, and it actually doesn't even prohibit states from these transfers. It simply requires a strong presumption of denial a little vague exactly what that means. I mean, we've seen cases where countries have been able to overcome that presumption of denial and, and transfer abroad, right? True. Uh, if you look at CIPRI's arms trade database and, and track sales of drones um, back to 2007 when you saw the first export of an arms system from the United States to the UK, uh, you're really not seeing many transfers of the really complex uh, weapons-capable drones until China comes on the scene. And they've completed most of the armed drones transfers since, I think, their first agreement uh, in 2009. The United States transfer to the UK is still the only armed transfer that hasn't come from China so far. All right. I mean, we have a couple, we have a couple more coming down the pipeline, but, but Alexander's absolutely right. I mean, m most Nearly all armed drone exports have been have been Chinese systems. Is there a world where um, countries just simply start overcoming that strong presumption of denial more and more, and we start seeing more um, Category One transfers? And, and what does that start to look like? Does that threaten other parts of the regime, or does that simply allow the proliferation, the, the prohibition on large drones to kind of die natural death as the technology evolves? I mean, you can overcome the strong presumption of denial on quote rare occasion, according to the according to the MTCR. So, what does rare occasion mean? the The challenge is that if you overcome, if you define rare occasion one way for for drones, then it might be harder to make the argument against the against doing the same thing for uh, for missiles. You really need to then be clear about what it is about drones that means that you you can more easily overcome the strong presumption of denial, but you still want to hold the line on missiles. And I think that's going to be a, a, a challenging international diplomatic discussion uh, to have, but one that is, is worth having if the MTCR member states decide that, that preventing the you know, export of, of drones should still be a, a key role for the MTCR. So looking forward, both in terms of the technology and then the politics of how the MTCR responds, I'm going to ask you for a, a prediction, but it's a long ways out, so, so we won't have time to catch you for a while if you get this wrong. Will the MTC star, MTCR still be around 30 years from today? I don't think so. If the future of the MTCR is to limit drone proliferation, I think the number of alterations required to do that effectively will make it a completely different agreement. Things I plan to have 30 years from now. 
a flying car, <laughs> Rosie the healthcare robot, and you know all sorts of other things that will make uh, our lives, you know, presumably very different than our lives today. It, in that way, it's it, it's hard to imagine uh, a thirty-year continuation of the status quo with regard to the relationship between drones and the MTCR. Uh, I could easily imagine the MTCR still around and kicking when it comes to comes to missile technology, but my suspicion would be that that something will give, uh, you know, before uh, before the next thirty years hits, when it comes to the way that a drone exports work uh, with regards to the MTCR. Well, great. Well, thank you, Mike and Alex, for your thoughts on um, the future of the MTCR, and we'll see certainly how things evolve. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Paul. A lot, Paul.